Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And coming off the 4th of July holiday, that's Independence Day here in the United States, if you're scoring at home, but what does that mean for LGBTQ people? Transgender people in particular. Tough to say that given right now, let me see, we've got sports bans still going on and the battle to erase affirming care still going on. And of course, you have 13 states that have trigger laws for bans on abortion since Roe v. Wade was taken away. As I'm doing this podcast today, I know of a few people who are friends of the show, who are parents of children who are trans, who are packing up and fleeing to new places and perhaps safer spaces. And they're not doing it necessarily with a smile, but at least with a tear. We're going to have more on that a little bit later. But the sports issue continues to trend worse even after a Pride Month where no one thought things could get worse. You know, first, Union Cyclists International, International Swimming Federation, made their rule changes. And now World Athletics, and their chairman, Sebastian Coe, is considering upping the ante themselves by looking at similar rules. And, of course, there's the abortion issue and There was a certain Pamela Paul of the New York Times wrote something that states that, you know what you're seeing with Roe v. Wade? It's trans people's fault. Transgender women especially. And that's going to lead to a special examination. It's coming up a little bit later. But there's been some speak out against this, and some of that speak out came from New Zealand in the form of Kate Weatherly. The elite class mountain biker has been vocal on the FINA and UCI regulation changes. And this is what she told Radio New Zealand this week. This is a conversation that's not happening enough in this area, is that this is all opinion. You're asking me what my opinion is. Everyone's going, what's your opinion? What do you think? We're talking to physiologists. We're asking them their opinions. and But there just isn't the research on these topics. And I think that the best way to make the the decisions in this area is just to look at the athletes and look at how they're performing and go, is the training that they're doing matching up with the results that they achieve? I think Laurel Hubbard would be a great example of that. She transitioned later in life than I did, and she still gets beaten by her competitors. She's a phenomenal athlete. She does really well, but she's hardly dominating the field. Mm going back to your question before about the impact that my part of a male puberty that I had, how that might impact my performance. Now I never had testosterone testing prior to when I transitioned. I don't know how much testosterone I had or for how long there is just so much variation within, regardless of even trans people, just within cis people, we look at everyone, everyone's bodies are so different and it's just impossible to make these black and white conclusions about, what is an unfair advantage and what's not an unfair advantage. I think that that's just impossible to make those conclusions. But that is happening, isn't it? Yeah. And how does that make you feel? I think it's frustrating. 
I guess that what it feels like is people are governing bodies are trying to implement policies that they claim are supporting inclusion, but when they essentially ban athletes and are not coming from a place of evidence, that is pretty frustrating because I think that it is it sets a worrying precedent. And rugby's been in the news again. The International Rugby League a week ago said that they were going to also put a ban on trans women competing at their elite level, quote, until further research is completed to enable the IRL to implement a formal transgender inclusion policy. Male to female players are unable to play in sanctioned women's international rugby league matches. That's from their official statement. Now, a person who should be a well-quoted world expert on this is friend of the show, Australian former rugby player, and just general all-around athlete, Caroline Late. This is what Caroline Late had to say to 3CR Community Radio this week. All the national rugby bodies um, didn't go with that ban. So there wasn't one national rugby body that went, went with that ban, because they know it's discriminatory, and it could end up in court. So they all decided to not go with that ban. So what's happened now is it's just, um, I don't think, in Australia, we'll be fine. And I think the same with Rugby League. So, um, I, you know, I don't think um, even Andrew Abdo, he's, he was, um, he said he's a little bit annoyed that he's sort of been um, sort of pushed into this just because it's IRL and he has nothing to do with IRL because he, um, the NRL hasn't made a decision yet on trans women playing at, in the NRL, NRLW competition. So it sounds like this is causing real divisions in the sport and is also putting countries that have got their act together on this issue, that are following the science, that have developed good policy. It's just putting them in an awkward political position. Yeah, look, I mean, um, as far as... I think the division is what they're trying to do is, and I'm talking about these um, global sporting organisations, it's... And a lot of it's saying from the United States of America and the UK. So you've heard Lord Coe, um, Sebastian Coe, um, talk about this, who's head of the IAAF, the International Athletics Association Federation. He's he's come out and basically um, he's always doubled down. He's always been against Casta Semenya. So I think what's happened at the elite level, these people are policing gender. So they don't want people um, playing the sport. Um, say people that don't really fit their um, mantra of what a, a woman should look like. So that's that's basically what's happening. And the new regulations of the United States Bowling Congress reported to go into effect, according to the USBC, three months ago, has fallen on the back of one transgender woman who competes, New England Regional Hall of Famer Christine Rebstock. Now, Rebstock was a guest on this show after coming out in November 2020. She has been competing as a woman ever since. By rule, she was allowed to. But now, to continue doing so, starting at the end of July, the USBC has mandated that she must supply video evidence of her in a round with shots from, quote, the back and the side, along with other data, along with other data, 
from which the USBC headquarters will decide based on the video and the data whether she can compete as a woman or whether she has, quote, a decided advantage. Now, Repstock has more than exceeded, according to the USBC, the hormonal requirements of the current policy, which calls for a 10 nanomole per liter limit for at least 12 months. She has at least doubled that. However, due to these guideline changes, she can't compete in any USBC certified events until she submits the required videos. Now, she was quoted as saying in the Northeastern Bowling Community Daily Bowlage, quote, my guess, this is a knee-jerk reaction to Leah Thomas. And she has also stated, quote, that her competitive days are most likely winding down at the end of the month. Handicap, as she said, the handicap leagues do not interest her and has stated that she has no intention on spending the additional money to gain additional approval. We at the Transporter Room are going to continue to follow this story and are going to work to get a comment from Redstock in the coming week. Also speaking out, British wheelchair rugby player Verity Smith, fresh off a cup victory last weekend. This is what Smith had to say as part of a newly released mini-documentary called Scrum. Everything's becoming very medicalized in the conversations, but no one's actually talking to the trans people. It affects or how your body changes. And there's so much misinformation out there at the moment around this. And it's very scary when you're in a sport and it's about coming out. It's like, who can you talk to? Who are you going to tell? Are you going to be accepted? What if they don't like you anymore? What if you lose your friends? What if you lose your teammates? So everybody's really worried at the moment as to where they can go, what they can get involved with, what can be talked about. Um, and it's a real shame, really, because... It's great to have a community out there and to have friends. And for a lot of trans people, it literally is family. They lose family, they lose partners, they lose their kids, they've got no support. That sports team or club, or even if it's an individual sport and you're meeting new people, that can bring everyone together and make you feel part of the community and just a human being again. Phoenix Mercury Center, Brittany Griner, detained now for over 140 days in a jail in Russia, made a direct appeal to U.S. President Joe Biden for a freedom and handwritten letter that was delivered to the White House on July 4th. It reads, quote, I'm terrified I might be here forever. I realize you're dealing with so much, but please don't forget about me and the other detainees. Please do all you can to bring us home. Now, Griner's wife, Sherelle Griner, said more to CBS Morning on Tuesday. She cherishes the 4th of July. Um, her dad was in the Vietnam War, and so BG literally, you know, loves that. And so she she cherishes this holiday, and so um, she, she, she uses it as a day, you know, to honor his service and freedom. Um, and so I know that it was it, it's killing her, you know, that she wasn't able to, you know, do her annual fireworks show and, you know, put chairs out in the lawn for all of us to sit down and, you know, really to just, you know, give him the respect due. But what is Brittany Griner facing in Russia? Well, noted commentator Angela Rye, who was on ESPN's first take on Tuesday, broke it down. Listen carefully. Well, acquittal also is very rare in Russia. So anyone appearing before a Russian judge, you, sh you should not expect an acquittal. And in fact, what we also know 
um, on this 135th day that Brittany Griner has been wrongfully detained in Russia is that um, she has to be convicted and sentenced and then request a presidential pardon. That pardon is where there's an exchange for one Russian citizen um, for Brittany. And that's what we can expect to happen. This, she doesn't necessarily have to move through the trial process, but she would have to be convicted. The only way for her to circumvent the trial process is for President Biden or someone very senior in the administration to make a call to the Russian government to ensure that Brittany can be exchanged for someone else and receive that presidential pardon and be returned to us. Until then, Brittany's not safe. I think Russian authorities said prior to the start of the trial that Griner would be detained at least six more months. And most of what we heard in the United States, frankly, is crickets. Back here in the United States, another friend of the show, Justice Horn, collegiate wrestler, out and proud activist in the Kansas City area, and a friend of all things out sports. He's running for office in this election year. Well, his campaign banner near his home was defaced with a homophobic slur on Monday. He wrote in his Instagram quote, I'll admit this one hurt because like many of us who experienced this, this word is used to harm us. I'll give you three guesses what the word was. I'll give you a little bit of a hint. It started with the letter F. Now on Tuesday, Justice had a press conference outside of his home. He said, quote, hear me today. I'm not going to be bullied and our community isn't going anywhere. The last 48 hours have shown a lot of folks that hate is alive and well in our community. But we have a chance to set the record straight here in 28 days with the August 2nd election. We can't sit this one out. We have to show up and vote because we can't let hate win. Now, some people are wondering, why is this a big deal? Justice, why are you putting rainbow progress flags in your campaign flyers and your signs? Who cares if you're gay? Some people are going to say that. In fact, in a recent poll that was revealed during the sports kiki over the weekend with Alex Rimmer, it was found that one in five fans in this poll basically said the same thing. Why don't you just keep your orientation, your identity to yourself? Well, soccer pro Colin Martin, who was a guest on the Sports Kiki this past weekend, said why that's just not the case. You know, we're, we're trying to make progress here and we're trying to have everyone in our country feel accepted for who they are. And we're not at the point where we can just say, you know, um, keep that to yourself because there's a lot of work we have to do in society to break down these barriers of, of homophobia and make sport more inclusive. And so I just don't think we're all afforded the privilege yet to say, hey, you know what, keep your sexuality to yourself. Um, right. And um, in terms of the person, think about how hard it is for, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to you right now as if as if, <laughs> as if you don't know, but, but it's liberating coming out. It's liberating. Yes. But once you're in the, when you're in the closet, you're lying and, and, and coming out is a special thing. And um, so it, it, that, that, that data doesn't necessarily surprise me, but uh, 
it um it's interesting to see where fans are at. Colin Martin was the target of a homophobic slur on the pitch during a game two years ago. Coverage of that story made headlines throughout the soccer world. It was part of a column that I wrote on it. The column's in the liner notes on our Twitter page. To all those who are in that one in five who say, why don't you just keep quiet about that? What happened to Colin Martin then and Justice Horn now is why we can't stay silent. It's why we have to realize that representation matters. Because these actions affect the person who's the target, but it also affects that next person who may be closeted, looking to come out. Some young kid living a life of quiet desperation in a locker room somewhere, wondering, can I come out and play my game? Being LGBTQ and being an athlete, I understand succinctly why it matters. This is why. So to that one in five, my community, my people, and my people in sports especially, we will not keep it to ourselves. We did not ask for our lives to be a political issue. You, member of that one in five, you who would draw that epithet and that word on that sign, or you that would be in that U-Haul with 30 other people like you brandishing weapons to intimidate at a pride. Your kind made our lives the political issue we never wanted. There's the red alert klaxon, which means we're going to take a little break, give love to the sponsors, but when we come back, we're going to have a special examination into a phrase. You know you're a transphobe when. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. watched my daughter and other female collegiate swimmers face Leah Thomas, the first male swimmer in women's NCAA swimming. But this progress con is continuously being threatened by those who put are putting wokeness above what is right and fair to biological female athletes. But the reality is, you know, gay and lesbian has nothing to do with gender identity. There's not a single transphobic person here. We were instructed by the federal court to refer to these males as quote transgender females. So I'm not accusing any trans women of cheating, but what about the men that may want to cheat? Yep, transphobes are gonna transphobe. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host Carly Chardonnay-Webb and we're going to launch right into it. First, you know you're a transphobe when you keep using the term trans athletes when we're really talking about transgender women. 
And most of the time, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about sports. We're not talking about anything except transgender women. Regardless of disingenuous stuff like this. There's no caring about <clears throat> trans men, female bodies, trans men um, who, who want to be able to play sports. They're only looking at one direction of, right? They're not looking at this as, what can we do for trans people? It's all about, what can we do to include trans men in sports? Come, come now, counselor. You know that none of you care about transmasculine people in this deal. I have a problem with anyone who attempts to use transmasculine people as props to sell transphobia. It's enough that we erase transmasculine people from the discussion to begin with. But even worse is when you decide that, oh, now let's prop up transmasculine people to sell transphobia when the target has always been transgender women. Now, thankfully, there's a lot of great men in sports who aren't doing this. People like Elaine Ingram and a Skylar Bylar and a Chris Moger. They're not buying this. They aren't buying. And neither should you. Or none of it. Stop the erasure and stop the dehumanization. Stop saying trans athletes when you really mean transgender women. And then there's this. Misgendering a trans person woefully with the intent to do so. And there's a lot of ways people do it. Just check out Christiana Holcomb. She's an all-pro at this. Well, like many of you, I first became aware of the issue of males competing in women's sports by hearing reports out of the state of Connecticut. For every single season, they had been forced to compete against biological males, and that was depriving them of opportunities. So, well, litigating at the district level in Connecticut, as you might suspect, is not easy on this issue. Uh, in fact, the federal judge looked at us, their lawyers, and said, you are not allowed to use discriminatory and degrading language, i.e. referring to males as biological males. That was the, quote, offensive and derogatory language. In fact, we were instructed by the federal court to refer to these males as, quote, transgender females because he viewed it to be far more scientifically accurate. Of course, that violates not only, you know, my client's right um, in position in advocating for their fair and fair competition, but even as a lawyer, my ability to zealously advocate for the position of my client. So we were able to uh, sort of, I would say, negotiate with the court. And so you'll notice in our briefing, we use the term male-bodied athletes. Sounds a little bit awkward, to be quite frank. Like they're not, they're not disembodied. Yep, that's the that's the ADFs top legal eagle when it comes to trying to demean and hurt trans people, transgender youth especially. And there's that word, biological males. You think you're sounding scientific, got news. You're not. What you're really just saying is, you're really calling transgender women men. So I say, don't dime a dance with it. If you want to call a trans woman, say like me, a man, Go right ahead. Trust me. People in the comments do it often. 
I mean, here's an example from a comment from a television interview that we're going to be showing in a little bit. You think trans women are real women? The answer, no. I respect you, but we're getting to that one too. That's another sign. I respect you, but no, you don't. But you are a biological man who feels like a woman. You, whoever, the person who wrote this, honestly, and by the way, I'm going to be putting this on the liner notes and no, I'm not going to shield a name here. This was on the Outsports comment from Dr. Veronica Ivey's appearance on The Daily Show. And no, I'm not blurring your names out. I don't get to hide. Leah Thomas doesn't get to hide. Veronica Ivey doesn't get to hide. Neither do you. You have to stand. You don't get to be anonymous like certain members of the Penn swim team. You will have to stand on your bigotry like an adult. I don't know who you're fooling with the term biological males or any other way when you when what you really want to say is transgender women aren't women and cisgender women stink at sports. That's we hear this all the time over and over and over again. And oh, there's a there's a side light to this because there's another thing. If you scratch a transphobe, you just might find a racist. Q Sharon Davies. All of the men's world records are between 8 and 10%, in fact, 12% faster than the women's. Why is that if it's not down to male strength? Do you class Castor as a man? There's a straight question. Is Castor a man in your eyes? Has Castor XY? No, you don't know. She's not. She's been through a right. gender so test. That is the question that we're not getting female. answered, India, and that is what I would like well, to get answered. Get answer there. You're talking about men in sport when this no, topic I'm is about... I'm asking if Castor is XY. She's biologically and chromosomally a male. Okay. And well, does she have male be... benefits because she was misdiagnosed as a child okay. in Africa, in a third world country. But this problem happens a lot. There are two things that Sharon Davies believes, and there's one thing I believe about her. Sharon Davies believes that transgender women are responsible for the East German doping program and that Castor Semenya is a man, as you just heard. There's one thing I know about Shaza Davies. Shaza, honey, you're a transphobe. And you just might be a little racist, too. Hashtag just saying. Also, another side like to this, there's the word cisgender. You just might be a transpho when you just can't use that word. That's why that word biological is a big deal. Yeah, like they're biological women and then trans women are the Borg. I mean, that's what they're really saying. But just to all the people who claim not to know, but you know, cisgender, you know what it means. Your brain and your body line up. That's all it means. But you know what? Many of your kind believe that cis is a slur because you use trans as one. The next way you know you're a transphobe when all you have is personal attacks when a transgender person is talking about the issues. This is also a reason why transgender people don't read the comments. And we don't. Case in point, last Thursday night, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Dr. Veronica Ivey was a guest, and 
We're going to put the full interview in the liner notes. And if you didn't get a chance to watch it, you should. Because Trevor Noah did what he does best. Good interview. In fact, excellent interview. And Dr. Veronica Ivy was Dr. Veronica Ivy. She made the case. And she made it well. And it was a good conversation with an interviewer who admittedly said, I'm not sure about the issues. Walk me through it. Trevor was in it to learn something. And I think he did. Here's a little excerpt. It, it, it seems like we have discussions about who should participate in which category and how. You know, on the face of it, it seems simple as you say. You know, if somebody identifies as a woman, if they're transgender, they can compete against women who are born biologically, and, and then if not, then not. But then there are many who would argue who are not transphobes. There are many who, who, who are born biologically women who will say, but you have an unnatural advantage over me, and that makes the sport unfair. How do, you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, there's lots of ways you can respond to that. So the first is the, the very language of you were born and I'm not biological somehow. Like, I don't think I'm a cyborg. So like this idea that like, oh, you're not a biological woman. Well, I am a woman. That's a fact. I am female. So all my identity records, my racing license, my medical records all say female, mm -hmm. right? And I'm pretty sure I made a biological stuff. So I'm a biological female mm -hmm. as well. So this question of do trans women have an advantage over cis women? We don't know. Um, in fact, there's basically no published research on this question. However, uh, there's good reason to think that there isn't, but I think it's irrelevant because we allow all kinds of competitive advantages within women's sport. So one example I love to talk about is the 2016 Rio Olympic women's high jump final. First place was over six foot three, 10th place was five foot five. So a 10 and a half inch height difference between first and 10th at the Olympics okay. in high jump. Right. And we call that fair. Okay. So the range of body types within the female category is way, way bigger than anything that could be attributed to trans women. Uh -huh. So if there's an advantage, and I'm not saying that there is for trans women in women's sport, it's not an unfair advantage. But also we've been competing at trying to compete at the highest level for decades. We've been allowed to compete for decades. And no one has won an elite world championship. No one has won an Olympic gold medal. This Tokyo Olympics was the first time trans women even qualified for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So this idea that trans women are suddenly gonna take over women's sport is an irrational fear of trans women, which is the dictionary definition of transphobia. Again, the full interview, we're going to post it on the liner notes on Twitter. But the personal attacks came after. And it came in the comments. Now, you got to check these comments. Um, one person, certain. And again, you're going to be seeing these two. And if you happen to see these on Twitter and you see your name, I don't blur out names. See, I'm like the shame wizard from Big Mouth. I shame transphobes. Deal with it. No, this one person, Rob McKay, said, quote, that's not a woman, that's a man in rainbow glasses. And then there's another one who, who had a very similar thing. 
Let's hack off healthy tissue, save bones and cartilage, insert various implants while pumping people as young as 13 with chemicals and hormones to create Frankenstein bodies. That was from the Daily Show's Twitter thingy. And there's a lot more of these, and I'll put a, at least a few more down in the um, in the liner notes so you can check it out. But does this sound familiar to you? No, a lot of these comments mirrors the, mirror those that a certain Leah Thomas received. In fact, I read so much stuff and so much speculation about Leah Thomas and her body and this and that. It made me wonder how many personal physicians that the University of Pennsylvania swimmer had. You see, when you have to get personal, be it about looks, voice, oh, the body shaming, let's just get on that. Body shaming is not an argument. It's not. When you body shame a trans person, what you're really saying is, again, you're saying that person isn't who they say they are, and, it, and you're also saying that you have nothing to offer except insult. It's cruel and it's mean, but it says everything about you and nothing about your target. What it says is, you're a transphobe. The next way, you know you're a transphobe when you refer to transgender women athletes as cheats and cheaters or again accuse them of a doping program they had no part in. Yes, Miss Davis, I'm talking to you. But the soundbite's going to come from somebody who basically holds the patent on this line. A certain person who's won a few Wimbledons named Martina Navratilova. And a couple of years ago, she said she walked back on this. Oh, no, she didn't, because she doubled down on it. Two weeks ago, the Icons Conference. Check it out. So I'm not accusing any trans women of cheating, but what about the men that may want to cheat? Uh, that are not trans women, but they will. They 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 could pretend. Uh, they could say, you know, I ID as a woman. It's reversible. Even when you take the hormones, you take them for a couple of years, you can reverse back out, uh, as has been happening um, in other fields in other countries. So it's just. Um, it's just a really unfortunate uh, situation because we want to include uh, everybody that, that wants to compete, but it has to be done fairly. Now, Martina Navratilova, again, said this a few years ago in the Sunday Times, walked it back, and now comes back at this conference and double down, doubles down on it. You know something? New rule. Martina Navratilova will now be referred to as Martina Transphobatilova. It's more accurate. Martina, you're a transphobe. And you know you're a transphobe when you blame trans people for Roe v. Wade. And Pamela Paul did that in the New York Times a few days ago. Now, before we dove into the piece a little bit, also we're gonna the piece will be linked in the liner notes so you can read it for yourself. And I encourage you to read this for yourself. I encourage you to read it. 
I am going to point out one person who's been highly critical of it. Besides just about every member of the Trans Journalists Association, there's Chase Strangio. Now, Chase Strangio, you know, top legal eagle. He's with the ACLU. And as we speak, he's fighting another case for transgender justice. And he has blistered the New York Times with criticism on this piece. And on July 30th, he had a tweet saying, also a reminder that every defense of criminalizing trans care uses these New York Times pieces as evidence. And there are people who are underneath going, evidence, evidence, ev no. Chase has the receipts because Chase has had to fight those receipts in court. But I want to refer to one part of Pamela's article in particular that tells me a lot about her. She writes that, quote, the American Civil Liberties Union, longtime defender of, you, of women's rights, last month tweeted its outrage over the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade as a threat to several groups. And she quotes the tweet, and it says, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, the LGBTQ community, immigrants, young people. She ends it by saying, that left out the word women. They're erasing women. So let me get this straight, Ms. Paul. There are no black women. There are no indigenous women. There are no women of color. There are no women who are LGBTQ or immigrant women. Young women. I understand the game with you, Ms. Paul, because you go by the gender critical slash liberal definition of the word woman, which is adult human females who are white, affluent, cisgender, heterosexual, fertile, and live in the Western world. Let's be real about what many of you are getting at when you say the term women. Because many of you aren't including black women. Trust, I didn't hear a lot of women similar to you speaking out about Serena Williams nearly dying giving a child. Black neonatal health, indigenous neonatal health, I really don't see y'all ringing in on that one. Their concept of women is frankly a very white, well-to-do concept. And yet, all those groups mentioned have women as part of it. And she goes on to say other things, mainly about the idea of inclusive language, like people with uteruses, people get pregnant, pregnant people, things like that. Because never mind... God forbid that we include all people that have a uterus, be they intersex people, be they transgender men, be they non-binary people, into a discourse that they're definitely a part of. There is an excellent thread that was done on Twitter by noted Capitol Hill reporter Caitlin Burns that talks about this. I'm going to link it in the liner notes. I really believe you need to take a look at it. I certainly think if you are a so-called gender-critical, gender-free, or whatever you're branding yourself and branding your transphobia these days, and really branding your misogyny and branding your insistence on your defending your space at the right hand of the patriarchy, I think you need to read that thread. 
I think you do. The same energy that's going into what Ms. Paul's writing is the same energy right now that right-wing groups are using to try and blame a mass shooting on trans people because an unhinged person with a gun happened to dress as a woman just to get away from the area where they caused the mayhem in Illinois. And that's not the first time they did that. Certain right-wing media outlets did the same after Uvalde, Texas as well. This is the same type of energy. But there are some people who are going to say that the next way you know you're a transphobe when, well, Carly, if you say things like this, this type of activism, it really doesn't help your cause. People like that don't even understand what the cause is, except their cause that they just don't like trans people. But they make it try and sound so reasonable, so civil. I call it soft bigotry. And to me, it's the worst type of transphobia there is. And I'll tell you why. And my object lesson comes from another person who had to make a comment on Dr. Ivy's appearance on The Daily Show. This is one from somebody called Bloody Sugar. Because I support trans rights, I feel this activism goes against it. Instead of being about justice, it makes the goal look to be about denying a bunch of facts in order to get easier wins at the expense of women. In short, you say you're for trans rights, and then you spout transphobic talking points. So in other words, you're not for trans rights at all, but you're trying to make it sound good. And there's a few people who've come on my, my own Twitter and try and do this. But you walk them far enough along the road, then the mask comes off. You see, one thing I will say, I respect open, in-your-face transphobia. I do. Kelly Jean King, I don't like her. I despise everything she stands for, but I respect the fact that she does stand for it. The same goes for all the other big transphobes out there. The same goes for Martina Navratilova. Martina, quit tap dancing. Own it. You've been doing it anyway. And really, Nancy Hogshead Maycar, who, who sat simpatico at their little conference right next to Christiana Holcomb. Right next to the ADF. People who have fought everything that Nancy Hogshead Maycar has claimed to fight for. For her entire career. In and out of sport. But now, she's, she's forging an alliance with them. I respect, however, that open level of transphobia. I don't respect this. I don't respect people who tell me this doesn't help your cause when you don't give a tinker's damn about our cause. You don't even understand what it is. You understand what your cause is. Your cause is these anti-trans bills. Your cause is keeping trans women out of sport and using that to sell things such as bans on affirming health care. And which will lead to bans on kids just going to school. 
which will lead to bans on my health care. And I'm certainly not a kid anymore. The first digit in my age is a five. Soft bigotry eventually becomes hard bigotry. It's just a matter of how far the mask slips off. Now, why do I point this out? Simply put, because this is what the agenda is. And it's time to start calling a spade a spade in this fight. There's an excellent article in Medium that I read a few days ago, and I'm also going to put this article in the liner notes, because it's time to retire the word turf. It's time to retire the concept of turfs. Retire that concept. Because there's nothing radical or feminist about them. Yes, they're trans-exclusionary, but they're not radicals. They're working with the patriarchy. It's about as non-radical as you get, and it's certainly not feminism. It isn't. So let's just call these people what they are. Transphobes. And from here on out, I, in this podcast, shall. Now, to those who are allies who feel that this may be about you, ask yourself a critical question. Am I doing the work? Am I being described here? Do I use these terms? Is this the way I come across? If you feel that way, you, and you say you're not a transphobe, then you need to make adjustments. Perhaps talk to the trans people that are around you and the people who are in your circle. And when they speak, psst, close mouth, open ears, and open minds. Listen to what's being said. Now, if you know you're doing the work and this is not about you, there's no reason you should get defensive. Because, in the words of the late, great Monica Roberts, if it isn't about you, don't make it about you. And I think for the allies doing the work, what I'm saying bounces right off of them. Why? Because they realize they're doing this work. And they realize they're tightening up the blind spots. And no, I know there's going to be one saying, not all cis people. We already know this. I know this from example. But this isn't about the people doing the work. This is the people doing the work of bigotry. And it's time to call them out because it's too late in the day. Because everything that I've just mentioned here has a knock-on effect on what I'm closing the show with this week. I happened to be checking around my Twitter and I ran across a note from somebody who's not only a, I consider a friend of the podcast, but somebody who I consider something of a hero. A little girl who is Texas tough and very proud. And says things in state legislatures like this. I do not like spending my free time asking adults to make good choices. I've been having to explain myself since I was three or four years old 
Texas legislators have been attacking me since pre-K. I am in fourth grade now. When it comes to bills that target trans youth, I immediately feel angry. It's been very scary and overwhelming. It just, it makes me sad that some politicians use trans kids like me to get votes from people who hate me just because I exist. God made me. God loves me for who I am, and God does not make mistakes. You should be careful how you treat the least of these. Please, just listen to me, hear me, try to educate yourselves, try to understand everybody. The voice you heard is that Kai Shapley. She's a young girl in Texas with a heart the size of Texas. It's big. She's a courageous kid. Her mom, Kimberly, raised a good one right there. Right now, Kimberly, Kai, and siblings are packing up a house they love and being prepared to leave a state they love. This family is Texas. Texas to the bone. But because of certain decisions of certain Texas politicians like Charles Perry, state senator from Lubbock, Valerie Swanson, the House Republican radical cisgender activist who wrote the trans student ban in that state, and the actions of Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who essentially turned their Department of Family Services into Lone Star KGB, and right now, that group is actively going out and investigating parents like Kimberly Shapley, who affirm their child who is trans and will support them. This family decided the Lone Star State just is not safe. We're getting out of Texas. They're moving. And they're not alone. There's a lot of families like this one wondering, where can we go? And they're fleeing out of those states that are unaffirming. Those states that are becoming transphobic. States that are being influenced by legislators who are spouting the same venom that we just talked about a few minutes ago. And I'm sure that there's at least a few who say, well, hey, if you don't like it, leave. That's the freedom of America. If one state isn't to your liking, you can move to another. That type of indifference in my mind is un-American. Because what you're telling me is, you're okay with the house divided. And Abraham Lincoln told us this in 1861. And John F. Kennedy reaffirmed it in 1960 that a house divided cannot stand. This nation cannot survive. Half slave, half free. And there may be one of you who will look at me and call me un-American. You may check my social media and check my stances. And you know what? You'll be free to do that. I'll give you a free one. I'm a socialist. Yes, I'm about as red in Karl Marx as you get. But to quote a man who I believe is the greatest American thinker ever. 
I love America more than any other country in the world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. James Baldwin. Yeah, I went there. Man knows what he's talking about because it's true. Those who would spout such indifference believe that America is as good as it gets. When the whole point of this democratic experiment that people extol is that America is always seeking to be better. And that striving to be better requires courage. And believe me, these young LGBTQ kids speaking out, the Kai Shapleys in our country, their families, the activists that some of you decry, they are portraits in courage. And as we come out of the Pride Month, were there even some within our LGBTQ rainbow families who are saying, LGB, screw the T. I say unto you, you need a little pride check. Because you're not going to get liberation that way. That is if you want liberation. And if you don't, that's cool. But I say own that. Own it. But to those of you who do, it's time for us to show a little bit of American courage. And we could certainly use it now when so many people are talking about how this democracy is under attack. Well, in one way or another, democracy has always been under attack. Tony Benn said it best. Each generation must continue to fight the fights needed to secure democracy, and generations have. As flawed as that democracy was from the American Revolution, which was admittedly flawed, to all the things that were done to right that flaw, to bring more people into that shining city on a hill people talk about. And at each point, it took courage. It took the courage of Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner, and it took the courage of Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins. And it took the courage of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and Harvey Milk. It took that courage. It took the courage of the early pioneers that started the gay games. It took the courage of the people who started ACT UP. It took the courage for those did the sit-ins and did the die-ins. Whether it was a sit-in at a lunch counter or a lie-in across the Lincoln Tunnel. At each point, it took courage. And it's going to take that courage now. To LGBTQ family and our allies, our courage is going to be needed and our courage is going to be tested. But if nothing else, there's a little girl in Texas who has that courage. Pretty sure she can lend you some.
that's the transporter room for this week and just a note to all the people who are part of transporter room nation if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about the show or if there's someone you want to see on it we got some pretty good guests lined up over the next few weeks leave a message on our twitter page leave a message on our facebook page and leave a message at Transporter Room 10 Forward on Instagram. Everything I do for the Transporter Room, I do for you, the people who support us. And that's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.